What's happening, Brainiacs? This is Jeremy Lydic, content manager with the Business Journal and host of Brain Gain Navigators. You know, when we started the whole Brain Gain program, the idea was to focus on two key aspects, promoting workforce development efforts in the Mahoning Valley, as well as a culture of entrepreneurship. But that second part can be a tougher nut to crack because let's face it, we all need jobs. But it takes a certain type of person to take the leap into entrepreneurship. And it takes very specialized organizations in a community to foster those would-be business owners and guide them on the right track so they can grow their ideas into a profitable, sustainable business. And that's where the Youngstown Business Incubator comes in. Because the staff of the YBI are able to leverage their local, state, and national networks to provide resources that startups need to get going. And while tech is where they're really making their moves, they have the capability to help any entrepreneur with a solid, disruptive idea, which is pretty cool stuff. Now, I recently got the chance to have a nice chat with the YBI CEO, Barb Ewing, to talk about what it takes to foster the entrepreneurial mindset and how she leads the team at the YBI. We also talked about the second annual Shark Tank event, which is a startup pitch competition, and that's happening October 28th at Waypoint 4180 in Canfield, Ohio. Now, the Business Journal has been interviewing the Sharks for that event, and you can find all those interviews on our website at businessjournaldaily.com. It's a very cool event. I was at the first one. I'll be at this one. It's a good time, and it's great to see local investors getting excited about investing in local startups. So let's get to it. Here's my interview with Barb Ewing, CEO of the Youngstown Business Incubator. So how are things going with planning of this year's Shark Tank pitch competition? Oh, well, I would say that the it, it is a circus, um, probably all three rings, but it is going great. Um, we're so excited about this year's event. First year had a few kinks, things that we've ironed out, and it's going to be bigger, better, and more fun than the first year was. I think the community will be really excited to see all of the different ways that the program has evolved, the companies that we're going to be demonstrating, and just really the energy and enthusiasm that our team puts into everything that we do. So really happy with where we're at. You know, I'll say it over and over again. This is a fundraiser, and a lot of people are always um, a little surprised to hear that we're a nonprofit because we get so much government funding. Mm -hmm. Um, So for us, this event not only serves to generate deal flow and get people excited about entrepreneurship, which is a whole topic of discussion in and of itself, but it is also a fundraiser. And as a fundraiser, it's going very well. Um, But as anybody who does fundraisers will tell you, it can always be better. So we are going to be working right up until the last minute to identify more sponsors, sell more tickets and find other ways to really engage with the community. Uh, Just speaking about, you know, these types of events in general, you know, when you're thinking about entrepreneurship, how do these events maybe help inspire people 
to get into the entrepreneurship game or, or get off the fence if they're thinking about starting their own job or their own company? Well, I think, you know, lots of different answers to that question. It's probably unique to every entrepreneur. But first and foremost, the first event, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, we couldn't do it last year because of COVID. Mm -hmm. But the first event was just so much fun. And I think it just really got people thinking about wanting to do that. And, you know, it was a I think it was a bellwether event for us because it had so much energy around it. And that's just a term that I use over and over again, but people loved that event for weeks after um, yeah. community members would come up and tell us how much fun they had at the event and how excited they were to look forward to the next one. From an individual entrepreneur's perspective, I think that there are a couple different answers to that question. Um, not the least of which is that idea that I can do that. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's not that hard. I can do that. And I assure you, it is hard. You know, anybody who thinks that uh, doing a pitch, a perfect pitch is not that hard, will we'll learn hard lessons in life. But I do believe that there were people in the audience that just had that moment of, you know, this is really great. And I, I can do this. And that's what we want to inspire. We want people to think that way. We also just want people to, who might be on the fence doubting their own abilities to see that we as a community and we as an organization will come together to support you and that there will be, that there are programs in place, there is infrastructure in place, there are people who have a vested interest in seeing these companies succeed and building our next great company. So I think it serves a lot of different roles. I doubt that there's a single answer to that for any one person, but communities that have high levels of entrepreneurship generally have a lot of activity going on, some big, some small. Um, and this definitely fell into the big category. What do events like this do to sort of raise the awareness of investment opportunities in the community? I mean, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, you know, that, that first year was, I covered it uh, and I was there and it was a, a tremendous event. I mean, there were so many people there and I had never really, it had never really crossed my mind that there are opportunities right in our backyard for investment dollars to go to help fund these local companies. So how does the Shark Tank event maybe attract potential investors to look at those opportunities and, and what kind of local regional interests do you see when it comes to investing in these startups? Well, it definitely plays a role and it's helped us to start to build out about a bigger network, a more aggressive network. We were really delighted the night of the event. One of our supporters, he's a wonderful soul, had engaged with the, the woman who eventually won the program. And I saw him talking to her. He was not one of the sharks. And so there was a break in the action. And I just went up to, to talk to him just to say hello. And he looked at me and smiled. And he said, I hope you don't mind if I cut these other sharks out of this. And I laughed and I said, of course <laughs> not. You want to cut them out? You cut them out. That's what the, that's what the shark tank's for. Yeah. So, you know, it was really our first understanding that, other people were interested in coming to the table. And since then, we have seen more and more people raising their hands. Um, I've had a couple of groups coming to the event that are inviting other people. And we're trying to create um, an environment within the event. So you'll have the sharks, definitely have the sharks asking the questions and um, leading those discussions and hopefully getting to the point where they're making an investment. 
but we're also actively looking for ways to engage people who are also interested in investing. And there will be a kind of a, um, in, a, a platform available that night for them to at least make the companies aware that they also are interested and something that we hope to continue to build out. There's a lot of old money in this valley and some <laughs> new money as well. And too often it's sitting on the sidelines, um, mm -hmm. making nice returns for the families, um, but not really helping to grow local companies in the way that we could be growing. To that point then, how does the YBI uh, and, and just yourself, you know, what are some of the ways that you try to drive that conversation of you know, raising awareness of the fact that it's a good thing to invest in these businesses uh, rather than just sitting on your cash or investing it in the stock market? I mean, you know, really putting it into the local community and, and getting these businesses running. How do you get that message out there? Yeah, well, there's not a single answer to that. That's for sure. So many years ago, we were instrumental with our partners at um, formerly the Mahoney Valley Econ Economic Development Corporation, um, former, so now Valley Partners, what was T-Bike in Warren, now Bright, Youngstown State University Research Foundation, and working together to put together Valley Growth Ventures, which is a pre-seed fund focused on technologies that align with YBI and Bright, but and and also with a, a goal of investing in the Mahoney Valley, but we DGV can invest anywhere. That was our first foray. That was followed up almost simultaneously. Congressman Ryan um, started developing a network of investors from the East Coast and the West Coast right. and has brought them to the Midwest several times. And we ended up hiring Scott Shane, who was who led a is leading a scout fund for those investors called Comeback Capital. Scott mm -hmm. is one of our entrepreneurs and residents and he is constantly looking to help us build that network, find new individuals who are interested in early stage companies, whether they're local or whether they're based somewhere else. You know, it's just another way for us to engage. Jim Costler continues to work out his LinkedIn network and other platforms in order to identify more early stage investors. And most recently, and it's one of my favorite projects that we've ever been included in, um, we were awarded funding with Magnet, the Manufacturing Extension Partnership out of Cleveland, right. Team Meal, another regional partner, and Jumpstart funding through the U.S. Economic Development Administration to create additional programming around advanced manufacturing. So really building upon our existing work and starting to add capacity around that. And one of the key components of that proposal was the development of just better and more strategic materials to start to attract investors, both from, again, within the region, but also from the coast to investing in these early stage advanced manufacturing companies. And we think that if we do that systemically, some of the um, existing manufacturing companies or their families who are comfortable in that in the manufacturing space, not necessarily so comfortable in software, which is where the money tends to flow to more naturally, may become more comfortable and start to look at these opportunities as well. Do you see um, those additive, we, I'm sorry, do you see those additive so, manufacturing opportunities uh, developing at the rate that you were hoping they would? Well, I mean, everything got, got twisted and turned by the pandemic. And so sure. at the rate we had wanted them to, I'll say over and over again, my, my mantra is the, the 
you know, the two things that we will never have enough of is enough money and enough deal flow. Um, <laughs> and I don't care how much money or deal flow we have, it would never be enough. So no, absolutely not. Positively not. We're not seeing the deal flow at the rate that we want it to be. And that is true, not just for us and not just for advanced manufacturing, but really across all of at least our network, the pandemic took a took its toll on what we would normally see as a, a typical level of deal flow for technology-based businesses. Sure. Now, if you're talking about very traditional businesses, you know, the, the stories are great. You know, people who had hobbies that they turned into side hustles or people who had side hustles that turned into actual full-time positions. Those are great stories, but technology-based um, startups tend to have dropped off and okay. we're now in the process of rebuilding that. But on the other hand, you know, at the if you want to ask about at the rate we had expected, if you look at our additive manufacturing facility, TBB5, we are in the process of securing the funding to complete the renovations to that building. We did about 80% of it. We completed that first project three and a half years ago. When we were putting together the funding for that project, we had estimated that we would have two companies in the building at the end of three years two companies in our partnership with YSU. And in fact, by the end of this year, we'll have 10 companies in the building in our partnership with YSU. And there is no additional space left for growth or new companies to come in. Hmm. And we are trying to put together the rest of the funding that we need to finish the renovations to that building and to start looking for our next project. So on the one hand, deal flow is never what you want it to be. And on the other hand, in so many ways, it has outpaced what our expectations were that it's hard, that juxtaposition is hard to explain, but you know, it's, it's the reality of the world. You can never predict things spot on. Sure. For uh, some listeners who might not know what uh, TBB5, Tech Belt, uh, building number five is all about, um, can you give us an idea of the type of companies uh, that are in there? I know Juggerbot's in there. Uh, what what kind of reach do they have? I mean, uh, are these just little startups or, or how big are they getting? So it's a mix. Um, so Tech Block Building 5 was our fifth building on our campus, and it is a 65,000 square foot facility, the former Vindicator, the original Vindicator um, print right. house, the one that people associate with the Vindicator, the old Art Deco building. And we have a mix of, of truly early stage companies in there, real startups, of, well, I guess as compared to fake startups, but I mean, uh-huh. startups of the owner and one employee. And then we have some more mature companies in there as well. It is not strictly just the true bootstrapping, you know, eating romaine noodles um, startup. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the great stories that is coming out of, out and, you know, it, we've we've talked about it is Ursa Major, a right. company from Colorado um, that is taking space in the building. They're the, the last, comp- they will take the last available space it is a pretty well-heeled early stage company from Colorado that is doing research and projects for the Department of Defense using additive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And um, they've got positions open right now for operators, you know, so it's not all or nothing, but everybody is earlier stage, but running the gamut from ideation to market entry. Um, but it's a good mix. Yeah, I just I've been uh, digging into that Ursa major. I just had a conversation today with uh, a professor from University of uh, Texas, El Paso. 
uh, who'll be opening up that digital engineering center in the YBI as well. It, it just, it, the more people I talk to about that project, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. That's going to be a really big deal for the area. It is going to be a really big deal for the area. And I mean, that, that's a good case in point that the UTEP piece of this, the university piece of this, ideally would have been housed over in TBB5 with the rest of the projects, but uh, there's just no space over there. And mm-hmm. as life would have it, Turning Technologies has been going through a downsizing process and there's great space available in the Taft Technology Center. So we're starting to move move our additive activities into other places in the building and we're outgrowing TBB5, but able to accommodate some of these activities in other places. Got you. Very cool. Kind of backtracking a little bit, you know, we were talking about investments, uh, just local investors uh, getting involved. What, in your opinion, like as you've been sort of pushing that conversation forward into the community and 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 talking with folks, and like you said, there's a lot of old money and new money in the area, who is most likely to make those types of investments? And what would make a would-be investor maybe hesitate? in investing in a startup at YBI or any startup in Moaning Valley? Well, what we hear pretty typically is not uncommon anywhere that, you know, this is, it's just not a a market that they know. It's not a field that they know. And people tend to stay in the places that they are most familiar. So, you know, if your company, if you are, you know, a family that has a, a car dealership and a technology comes along that aligns with with dealerships, you know, maybe it's a new point of service, a, a point of sale software or something like that. You may have a, a comfort with that particular software, but not with, you know, investing in, a, you know, 3D printed uh, custom fit uh, scuba masks because mm-hmm. you know nothing about that. People tend to want to stay in spots where they've got some industry expertise, and those are tough walls to break down. Um, I would say if you're looking at what the barriers are, that is the single greatest barrier that we face, is getting our investors to have the, the sense that the, there's a, they have a base of knowledge to make good decisions around. And do you see, uh, like as far as uh, folks who are making the investments, I mean, uh, uh, are there generational differences? Uh, do, do you see a lot of younger folks uh, getting involved and, and trying to push whatever extra capital they have back into the community? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. Off the cuff, I would say no, we actually don't. Um, in fact, if you look at our panel of sharks, we tend to run towards the more mature is the you know, the, the polite way of putting it, um, sure. <laughs> you know, not uh, young Turks, as they say. So I would say that we have over the years as we've established relationships and, and found the right fits for the right companies, we see that it's not one particular demographic. Okay. So I thought we shift gears a little bit and talk about entrepreneurship in general. Uh, you've been with the YBI now for nearly 11 years first as the chief operating officer and now as its CEO. Uh, so I take it you've been working pretty closely with some of the startups, yeah? Yes. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm i not an entrepreneur in residence and I try very hard not to give them advice that I shouldn't be giving them. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I try to be accessible. And if somebody has questions or if there are relationships that I have that can be used, I'm happy always to to play whatever role I can and and helping our companies develop. 
Okay. Uh, so in your experience then, uh, you know, working within your capacity, um, what have you found works best when it comes to encouraging the entrepreneurs to keep pushing forward and, and to keep them keep moving and not getting discouraged? I would say that knowing that there are people there working this hard for them, um, that they've got a, a family or a network around them, that they're not really by themselves is probably the single biggest thing that entrepreneurs need to keep them going. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember so many conversations of, of, with Jim about having, you know, he was having conversations, late night conversations, early morning conversations with founders because, you know, something has popped up, a crisis, a problem, something unexpected, and not always on the negative side. Sometimes it was even things to celebrate, but something came up late, early, whenever. And knowing that there was going to be somebody on the other end of that phone to pick up to help with that moment to resolve or to celebrate, you know, just having a team around you. Um, going it alone is no fun. You can do it for a while, but long term, it's no fun. And I think the atmosphere that we create at YBI really, really helps our companies. It also sets us apart. So, you know, when people started coming back from the pandemic, the staff was, I don't think our staff fully understood that YBI is more than the building and more than the EIR has been more than the technical advice until we started to be able to re-engage with our companies and start seeing them come in. And many of them are still largely remote or often remote. Nobody's necessarily back full time, but it was so refreshing and it is still refreshing to start to see people come back and to start to be able to, to do things that are, just small things, but having, you know, a box of donuts out on the, the <laughs> counter and, and having the, those donuts disappear through the course of the day. Entrepreneurship is definitely a team sport for most people. You just have to have that social and emotional piece of it. What are some of the things, uh, some of the most common things that the entrepreneurs and the startups come to the YBI looking for? And, and how has the YBI sort of evolved itself over the years to, to meet entrepreneurs where they're at and to help them keep moving forward? Probably again, the answer to what are they looking for is, is is as diverse as the companies that come to us. So, you know, for people who aren't familiar, we do more, much, much more than just technology startups. Um, We've got a women in entrepreneurship program, a youth in entrepreneurship program, we're the Minority Business Assistance Center for the Eastern Corridor of Ohio. So we work with really any veteran-owned, women-owned, minority-owned, or other socially or economically disadvantaged group. Our tagline is elevating every entrepreneur, and we are always looking for another pot of funding that allows us to just be that resource for anybody who wants to start a company. I think there are probably two solid camps of of people, people who have an idea and they don't know where to start. You know, it's great to have that sense that your grandmother's toffee recipe is really special and you want to turn it into a business. And how do you go about doing that? It's one thing to make toffee. It is quite another to write a business plan or get a loan to purchase the equipment that you need or understand the 
um, professional requirements associated with food production. Sure. Um, so they, you know, people come to us just with no clue on how to get started. And they may need help defining their market or figuring out whether their technology is even relevant. Um, you know, there's as many different questions that they have as there are entrepreneurs. And then you have the flip side of that. And this is where I hope post-pandemic, we will start to see that this pick up. We used to just have a lot of people walking through the doors wanting to meet with Jim, especially to go through an entrepreneurship 101 because they didn't necessarily know what they wanted to do, but they had enough of a taste of entrepreneurship from whatever source, whether it was watching Shark Tank or, you know, class that they took in college, whatever the case was, they wanted to do something, but they didn't know what they wanted to do. And so they were looking for just that spark, um, something to get them focused down a field or a task or a, a place to start. And um, when we talked about deal flow earlier, I think one of the things that we're not seeing right now, and I hope that Shark Tank allows us to pick it back up, is just those people walking, calling and, and coming down and saying, hey, I want to do something, but I don't know what that is. And how do you, how can you help me get there? Do you have to have a, a an MBA to be able to write a business plan? No. And I, in fact, I mean, most, I use the term business plan loosely because I'm old, um, but you know, there's a lot <laughs> of other, all. not uh, at all. Yeah, a lot of other, very few people actually use business plans at this point, sometimes for, for true business loans, business model Canva and some other uh, more flexible, less word intense, but, you know, very focused on understanding your market, understanding the financial models, but less about paragraphs and structure, sentence structure, and more mm-hmm. about the, the data are, the, are, are the, the more normal approach to business development at this point, really not business plans. With the, uh, the youth entrepreneurship program, how, how young are, are some of the <laughs> folks you're working with? Well, our youngest is eight. And, no kidding. Um, <laughs> and no kidding. Yes. Um, so uh, her mother is, uh, is one of our business counselors and now is the director of our, both our youth and our women's program. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say no age is too young, um, but, you know, depending upon where the student is and what they want to do, we want to engage with our young people and we want to engage with our young people where they're at. So the youth entrepreneurship program is a great way to help us give back to the community by helping our young people find that path to not only their own business, but their own lifestyle. And, you know, you learn so much more about life than just how to start a business as you're going through these processes. Our young people in that program had an opportunity to meet with the Secretary of State's office, we'll say five or six months ago, um, Secretary of State LaRose was in town and they all had a chance to speak to him. And it really struck me at that moment that they were learning so much more than how to figure out, you know, how to put an ad on Facebook or how to go through the, the process of getting registered with the state of Ohio you know, talking to people and learning that presence or learning Mm -hmm. to have that presence and to engage with adults on a, 
an equal footing. Those things are priceless. And those are lessons that go far beyond, you know, whether you made $500 profit this year, $5,000 profit or $50,000, you know, all of those little steps lead to a, lead you to a different place in life and just such a valuable experience. What kind of businesses are you seeing come out of the youth program? Um, so we had um, a mix. Um, we've got a shea butter product, uh, uh, several different cookie companies, and children's book. Um, I think authors. Um, That's cool. Yes. So, you know, I, I would I don't want to call them traditional businesses, but um, you know, uh, very hands-on kinds of things, things that that kids can get their arms around. Sure. At some point, I'd love to get to the point where we're helping. We've got, you know, a group interested in developing apps or, you know, developing a new game or anything along those lines. Um, so the model will continue to evolve and, you know, try to find new and different ways to engage with our kids, again, where they're at. Um, but the this round was, was pretty well focused on tangible products. Yeah. Why do you feel it's important to get kids thinking about that now? Um, historically, if you look at the Mahoney Valley's economy, I don't know if you were around when my old boss, Reed Dahlberger, from, um, was still here uh, when he was the vice president for the economic development of the regional chamber. But he had done a pretty extensive review of the Valley's economy, trying to understand strengths and weaknesses and everybody always has a sense that the reason that we are um, not as robust as we'd like to be is because we don't attract enough companies in, mm-hmm. um, that we're not bringing new businesses here. But at the time, and this you know goes back more than a decade, obviously, at the time, he would say that you know if you look at a per capita basis, we would actually attract more than our fair share of new jobs to the community compared to other places. But one of the places that one of the the subject areas or one of the metrics that we fell down on was the creation of new businesses. And um, entrepreneurship tends to be to lag in communities that are dominated by a large industry. You know, if you've got a culture where everybody goes to work at the company plant and mom and dad want you to go work at the company plant because it's a stable job, it tends to discourage the type of risk-taking and innovation that it takes to have a really innovative, creative community. And um, I think that still holds true. We were dominated not by one industry, but by two, both steel and automotive, of course. And um, it's just taking us a long way to work our way through that cycle. And, you know, if, if you look at at communities, it, it's not that traditional businesses aren't important because they are. Um, they create a lot of jobs. Small, business are, small businesses are the backbone of the U.S. economy. They always have been. But you also need those companies that are bringing new dollars into your community. So um, businesses whether they're manufacturers or software companies or something else um, that have customers from other places that are bringing dollars in to pay your employees and allow them to buy homes and to buy business cards and purchase cars and go to dinner at your local restaurants. Economies need not to just recycle dollars within because you're always going to have some outflow, but also right. to really attract dollars in. And that takes, that definitely takes some entrepreneurship. 
for sure. And uh, I get, you know, of course, the minority um, entrepreneurship program plays a role as well. How has that been going? Are, are you seeing uh, uh, the type of success that you'd like to with that? What kind of impact has that been having? So I, as I mentioned earlier, um, during the pandemic, we saw a tremendous number of individuals deciding that they wanted to start a business. And we have been very, very busy throughout all of our programs. And back, we encouraging people, helping them go from idea through the, the startup phase and getting the resources that they need, whether it's through a loan or finding their way, their path forward so that they've got the the equipment that they need, the resources that they need to get started. You know, Jeremy, I'm never going to be content with any level of success that we have. Uh, so, you know, I will always want to push harder, do better, be better. It is a great program. We have additional funding, hopefully at the start of the year through an Appalachian Regional Commission grant that we secured Last summer, um, we've been notified that we scored high enough to be funded. We just need Congress to pass the budget. Um, that will allow us to bring on some additional capacity and to do some additional programming around that and get fully staffed. For most of the last year, we've only had one business counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, lots of big changes happening in that and um, lots of great opportunity with this new power proposal coming online. It is definitely an area where we see tremendous activity in the community. There are a lot of people who are interested in in moving into that next stage of their life, and we want to be there to support them in whatever way they need they need the support. So, what inspires you, Barb Ewing? What made <laughs> you decide to pursue this type of work? Did you ever want to own oh. your own business growing up? Well, you know, it, I came from a family that um, my father passed away when I was young, but he left the business behind. And I hate to confess this, but it was like, it was it's a small manufacturing company. And it was never even a consideration that I would move into that space. Um, it just, it just really wasn't. I went on to college and my sister's husband and their family took over that and I never really gave it a thought. But yeah. some at some point while I was... Um, just after college, I read a book called American Steel, and I read it and reread it and reread it and reread it. It really helped me understand what happened to the steel industry in the United States and the potential that innovation had, because it was about the mini mills in that really stepped in uh, to the role, to the place that big steel had had held right. for so many years. Right, and it really helped me to understand that innovation and being disruptive and building a better mousetrap was the difference between success and failure. And I love that kind of disruption. And I want to be in the mix of that in whatever way that I can be. I wish I had an engineering brain and I wish I had an engineering background. Um, Although I love my liberal arts major from Kent State, if I had it all to do, do over again, um, I would have forced myself to figure out the math and have gone into um, engineering, no doubt, and see if I couldn't have, have personally built a better mousetrap. But lacking that, you know, I find my way to, to play my role and to, to um, try to support all of our companies, whether they're on the technology side or whether they're on the, the traditional business side. You know, you've got lots of great companies around the country that sell products other places and we can help all of our companies build their markets and 
create a, uh, a better lifestyle for themselves and for our community. And, you know, one of the things built into that power proposal that I referenced is helping our existing traditional businesses tech enable. We want to help them figure out what they can be doing, how they can use technology to make themselves more competitive, reduce their costs, market themselves outside of this region. You know, what? how can technology be used as a leverage for them to take their, their business from where it is today to where they want it to be? And I think that's very disruptive in and of itself. So I like to find ways. I think what inspires me is finding new ways to, to do this game um, and to build things that um, other people aren't doing and really create a, a very unique culture and climate and program and services for our region that nobody else has. What is next for the YBI? Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Ursa Major. We talked about the tech block building is, is getting filled up and you'd like to see that expand, but anything else that that's coming down the pike for YBI that has you excited and, and ready to rock and roll? My short answer is with these two new programs, the power proposal um, and, and really being able to work more extensively across the seven counties that that is that footprint. So for the Minority Business Assistance Center, we are the um, service provider from Ashtabula all the way down to Monroe County. So that's seven counties north to south. And we really have only had the resources to truly work in the Mahoning Valley in any meaningful way. And um, writing that proposal and another one really allowed us to start to engage more with those northern and southern counties. And for the immediate future, I really am looking forward, once that funding starts, to really engaging with our other partners and taking the next step in providing the services that we've got in play here. I have been told, I mean, I just knowing economic development the way that it is too often um, organizations have a service area that they need to serve, but they're, they're so focused on their, their home communities that the other areas just, you know, don't get the attention that they need. And we need to change that. That's not the organization that I want to be. Um, I want to have a presence in all seven of our communities and, um, be making the impact that they deserve as well. And on the other side of our house, um, we've got great things happening in additive manufacturing and with our startups. Um, we haven't talked about our additive manufacturing services very well, very much, um, but we have, you know, in addition to supporting startups in additive, we also have a team now of five people who work with industry and with government partners to support the adoption of not only additive manufacturing, but we are starting to move into other advanced manufacturing technologies, industrial internet of things, sensors, just nibbling around the edges with where we have the resources to go. There was just an announcement yesterday that we've gotten an Ohio Federal Resource Network Award with a major aerospace company, Safran, to support their additive efforts. And that is great, great stuff. Not only helping uh, an important Ohio industry, but allowing us to build capacity as well. And then, you know, I mentioned that Resilient Ohio Award um, with Magnet, Team Neo, and Jumpstart to promote advanced manufacturing. For the first time, we're really going to have resources to allow us to not just work with true startups in advanced manufacturing, 
but with existing companies to help them commercialize new products um, that they want to take to market. And that really is a game changer for us. That allows us to go out and actually start walking through local industry, finding out what they've got going on and helping them figure out how they can build a better mousetrap and take that mousetrap to market too. I won't use that. I won't use that uh, metaphor anymore. I've used it once too many times now. But <laughs> I've been keeping a tally. Um, yeah, well, it's, I'm becoming it's a good metaphor. Now. It is, but it's it's now trite. I've 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 overworked it today. So, but we want to see what's out there and uh, who has really great ideas that we can help to support. All right, very good, Barb. You've answered all my questions. Is there anything that any any uh, parting words or maybe some parting advice for any would be entrepreneurs listening? Um, Shark Tank is coming up um, at the end of October. Tickets are still available. It is a great fun event, great way to show your support and to find out what else is going on in our community. And we would encourage everybody to come down and, and join us. And I guess my words of advice are, if you haven't been there and have any interest whatsoever, um, whether it's in entrepreneurship or in advanced manufacturing, just want to get to know us a little bit better and find out what role you could play, perhaps as an investor, whatever, give us a call. My email address is as simple as my first, well, it's beewing at ybi.org. Send me an email. Our doors are open. Um, we want people to know who we are. We want all of our community to feel like this is a place for them. And that goes without saying, we work very hard to create a climate that supports diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are a great place to spitball and figure out whether you've got a good idea or not. And we want to be your partner to it. And I, you know, everything that we do is geared towards making our community better, you know, Come down and find out what that looks like. We definitely want to to engage more deeply with all aspects of our community. Outstanding. Well, Barb, as always, I appreciate and I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You bet. We'll talk to you again soon. And I'll probably see you at Shark Tank. Take care. Okay. Very good. All righty. Bye-bye. That'll do it. As always, I'd like to thank our Brain Gain headline sponsors, Farmers National Bank, Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition, and Southwoods Health, as well as our Brain Gain Coalition members, Eastern Gateway Community College, PNC Bank, Youngstown Business Incubator, Youngstown State University, the DeBartolo Corporation, Simon Roofing, the Mahoning County Career and Technical Center, the Moransky Companies, the ESC of Eastern Ohio, and Junior Achievement of the Mahoning Valley. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out all of our exclusive Brain Gain features and videos at businessjournaldaily.com forward slash Brain Gain Youngstown. I'm Jeremy Lydic. We'll see you down the road.